0: So, my name is Dave, and I guess a little bit about me, for those of you who don't know who I am, I've led our Verdun campus for the last, Nick struggle to get through the door, the last, uh, the last five, five years since we planted, um, and in very recent times now, uh, am sort of acting in the senior pastor role while our church decides what we want to do. So, I had an interview this afternoon, there's more interviews to come. And so can I just be selfish and ask that you're praying for me and praying for all the people who are involved in that process. As Craig said to you all last week, this is a discernment process. Uh, That's the awesome thing about God and the awesome thing about His church is that we're all after the same thing. We want what God wants. I want to do what he wants me to do and we want what's best for this church and so let's be praying let's not come with so often in this space i said to the guys this morning like don't sit here and be like right is he either right guy Critical critical spirit now let's just have an interceding spirit let's be have a discerning spirit and pray together um, for our church and for that whole process is that all right so please be in prayer because god is good and god is faithful and he has got us in the palm of his hand. Tonight, I, I want to um, speak on the topic of let's go fishing. And some of you have seen that in the old weekly update and thought, well, that's interesting. What's that all about? Let's go fishing. And, and prefacing it really out of Matthew chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. And often what we do uh, in this church most of the time at both campuses is normally we'll pick one passage of scripture, and we'll dive in real deep, and we'll unpack it, we'll exegete it, we'll look at all these different elements of it. What I feel like the Lord wants to do tonight for us is is the opposite of that. I feel like we're going to jump in the helicopter and pan out and have a look at sort of a mega theme in a way of the Bible. Uh, so beginning with Matthew chapter four, in the 18th verse. right now that you would speak we thank you for your word we thank you that your word is a two-edged sword able to penetrate to dividing soul and spirit we thank you that you long to speak to your people and father i ask as we gather around these tables tonight that your word would do what only your word can do god that you would speak boldly to us that the seed of life the seed of light would go in lord anything that's of me would fall to the ground And those things would be forgotten instantly. But that which is of you for us in this season would take root and it would bear fruit in our lives, not just tomorrow, the next day, but in the years to come, Lord. Have your way. Speak, Lord, we pray in the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So with that said, do we have any fishermen or fisher ladies in the place? Is anyone into their fishing here? in this church. Good. Some of you love fishing. Some of you never go fishing, never want to go fishing. Fishing and I have what I would call a love-hate relationship, right? The idea of fishing for me is this this really um, romantic idea like this picture of I'm going to get out there with my big broad-brim hat with the sun radiating down. It's going to be this glorious day. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to have my rod. I'm going to flick it out and go, bang, fish on the hook, pull it in. And then immediately that fish would be cooked. I wouldn't have to descale it or anything like that. It wouldn't stink. It wouldn't be, a, you know, gross. It would just be this beautiful romantic sort of concept in my head. But reality is different <laughs> from imagination and so I started my fishing journey many years ago when my wife, my now wife, and I uh, started going out. And so we're talking a fair while ago, we've been married 14 years. And her dad is like a mega keen fisherman. He's like the most manly man who ever manned. He can reverse a trailer through the eye of a needle. Like he's just got it all going on in the man department. And so for me, I was like, right, I'm going to impress Alan. I'm going to become a fisherman, and I'm even going to take Joe fishing. So we rocked up. We went to Second Valley for a date, and uh, we went out onto the jetty. I think it was Second Valley. It might have been one of those jetties out there, and. uh, there's people everywhere, right, like lining the whole jetty, except for this one spot. And I thought, you beauty, like they've left a gap for us, fantastic. So Joe and I rock up, put the stuff on the line, we're ready to go, we chuck it in. and I'm like immediately, yes, I'm onto one. And I start doing the whole, and the rod's just doing that, and it's not going anywhere. And I realise I haven't caught a fish, I'm snagged on a rock. And that is potentially why no one was in this spot. So I snapped the rod, Joe throws hers in, exact same thing, and then we just packed up and went home. I thought, <laughs> oh, you ripper, drove an hour for two minutes of fishing, and then we drove an hour home. And, uh, and then uh, years later when we're married, so my brother-in-law's also a fisherman, so I'm surrounded by people who are really good at this thing, right? And so we're out on a boat, and we're squidding, and if you, see, if you know a, a squid jag, or it's, it's sort of like that big, and it's got like multiple super sharp hooks at the end, and so I've gone to cast and as I've cast it's flung around the metal poles on the canopy of the boat it's gone around and gone bang straight into my thumb and you can even see the scar that's still there <laughs> and so I'm like I'm like ah like this and there's blood pouring out of my thumb and then my brother-in-law's trying to trying to get the thing free but as he's pulling it's like pulling on that going deeper into my thumb and I'm just going stop it you know It wasn't very successful. And that's sort of my relationship with fishing. And then two years ago, we got the same boat out and where I was now with my boys and Dan, again, he seems to be a common person in these stories, and we'd uh, put ourselves uh, in a marina and we're trying to reverse the boat, but as he put the boat into reverse, the boat's name is actually the Troublemaker. There's a little side note. And the boat went forwards and it drove straight up the back of this boat in front of us, and this is not so funny, it's a bit scary, and it did a full-on backflip, and so I sort of jumped out that way, Dan jumped out that way, but my two boys were caught under the boat, under the water, and in that moment, I was not cool, calm, or collected under pressure. I was like, wading the water, trying to shoulder press this boat back up, like just yelling, where's my boys? Like completely losing the plot. I laugh about it now. It was very scary at the time. In the end, my brother-in-law just had, he called it a Holy Spirit moment where he just had complete clarity, dove under, could see their life jackets, reached in, ripped them out, uh, saved their lives really. So anyway, long story short, Fishing and I have struggled over the years. Every now and then I have success. But a lot of the time, it's just hard work, difficult, and not very successful, right? And so as I read Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20, and I think to myself, Jesus, couldn't you have picked a different sport? Like, if this is, if this is the call for discipleship, are you with me? Like, of all the analogies he could have used, couldn't you use basketball? Like, couldn't you use something that's... Different from this, but he goes, he goes, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And I think to myself, when I think of fishing, fishing for people, I just think that sounds like hard work. And then I think about discipleship and I think about evangelism and think about that call, the great commission, Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And then he goes, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. When I think of that great commission that Jesus left his disciples with to make disciples, and then you go back and you realise that he bookended that commission. That commission is not just Matthew 28. It begins in Matthew 4. As Jesus calls his disciples, he guys, Come follow me and I'll make you fishers. He's saying to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus and a fisher of people. A Christian is not someone who professes a belief in Jesus. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus. When the disciples, when the people who followed Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch, before that they were called followers of the way. They were following. A Christian is a follower and to follow Jesus is to become a fisher of people. And so we've got this great commission and the the analogy is fishing and I think far out, that just sounds like hard work. And it sounds like it's going to be fraught with all sorts of trials and all sorts of difficulties and I don't think I'm up for it and I don't reckon I'm going to do a very good job of it so maybe I shouldn't follow him because maybe it's just all too hard. And I wonder if anyone has ever felt like that before in this room. That like coming here on a Sunday and singing songs and eating gnocchi and just enjoying life together is pretty alright. But the idea of discipling someone, the idea of evangelising, the idea of telling people about Jesus, the idea of fishing for people is like, that's not me. Anybody? Sometimes we go, man, that, that's, that is, I don't know if I can do that, Jesus. I don't know if I can be that person. But the awesome thing about the Bible is it keeps going. And if you understand Jesus' ministry, that he calls his disciples and he heals some sick people, and then he goes and he sits on a mountain and he gives a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And do you know, in a part of this sermon, after he goes through the Beatitudes, he lands, I'm going to read from verse 13, and he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Watch this. Underline this. Circle this in your Bibles. You are the light of the world. Notice he didn't say, I am the light of the world this time. He said, You are the light of the world. A town built in a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may do what? That they may see your good deeds. See the light in you and do what? And do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That there's something about... This light in you, that's so attra- it's so attractive to those who are not in that light, that in seeing the light in you, it will cause them to bring glory to God. It will cause them to come to faith. It will cause their world to be transformed. I look around this room and I can see some of you who not that long ago were like that person who was far from God and has somehow over the course of time, just as people have ministered to you, as people have just been salt and light in your world, something has grabbed you. The gospel of grace has grabbed you. And do you know what it reminds me of? This picture that like light stands out. You put it on a hill, he says. It stands out. It's something that just that, that captivates people. And it, when I read those two together, it reminds me of a different type of fishing that I actually learnt recently, like, let's go fishing. There's another way to fish. I don't know if any of you have done this, but it involves getting out in a boat at night. And you jump on a boat, and you go out into the darkness, so you still gotta leave the shore, it's still a little bit scary, and you go into the darkness, which is a little bit scary, but instead of having a rod, and a reel, and a hook, relying on my own uh, skill, and my own capacity, and maybe the quality of the lure, or the quality of the rod, or all of that, All you do is you have someone with a ginormous light and you shine it onto the water. And you know what happens? Garfish see the light, are captivated by the light, and they literally just float to the surface and lay there. It's called dab netting. And if you've got someone who knows what they're doing and they're just, you literally pitch black, shine a light on the water and all of a sudden there's garfish, and you just drive past, you keep the light on them, and you grab a net, and you scoop those bad boys up. We did this, we caught 110 fish in an hour. That's more fish than I've caught in 20 years of trying, (laughs) in one hour. Because instead of it being about me and my lack of skill and my capacity, it was all about the light. All I had to do was shine the light, and the light captivated the fish, and they were there for the taking. And as I thought about this, reading this, thinking about what God's doing in our church and the mandate and the call to you know, see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, hope revealed, to be a church that, that, uh, that fulfills this with a mission to go and make passionate disciples of Jesus. I was like, how do we make disciples? How do we go fishing? How do we fulfill this invitation to follow and fish? I was like, this here is a picture of kingdom fishing. To shine a light in the darkness. And if you read through the scripture, you will see over and over and over again that Jesus talks about his kingdom being a kingdom of light. Colossians 1, he talks about the kingdom of light. And we could go through so many passages where he goes, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of light, light in the darkness. Light into dark places. And do you know what else fascinates me about this? And this image of fishing. And this is why Jesus is so incredible. Because the image of fishing relies on water. And the metaphor, the motif, the image of water to a Hebrew person is so powerful. In fact, it actually... it. it, The whole book begins. The creation story, Genesis, begins with a picture of water where it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And you know, water, for a Hebrew person, signifies chaos. It signifies death. It signifies a lack of order and creation. God brings order, so it's like this absence of where God is. The waters are this powerful image and again all through scripture you'll see this image of water where water terrifies Hebrew people think about the red sea what how does god show his power by separating the the water the water was this there's there's pharaoh and his army and there's death in front of me what do we do well god comes along and says i'm bigger than death and he parts it what happens as is israel are about to pass into the promised land what do they have to go through Jordan River, which is full of water. Water, it signifies chaos, it signifies death. What do we do with baptism? We go into the. Why? We had a great chat about this small group the other day. It's not just a washing or a cleansing. What is the water? It's a grave. Why? Because to Hebrew people, water equals death and chaos. The Hebrew word in Genesis 1, it's a lovely word if you want to learn it, is tohu vabohu. Everyone say tohu va-bohu, And it literally means wild and waste. The wild and waste. The Spirit of God hovered over the wild and the waste and then God spoke and order came. Life came where there was death, where there was nothing, where there was absence. When God intervenes, there is light. It's such this, it's, it's an incredible picture. And so when you think about fishing and you think about what the water signifies, death, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you fishers of people. He's saying, I'm going to cause you to be someone. The world is dying. It's living in the wild and the waste without hope. We are under the waters. But the thing of fishing is you draw the fish out of the water into the boat. And it's this awesome picture of what what Christ is trying to say. It's the purpose of a Christian, the call on a Christian's life, the purpose of discipleship is not just to say, thank you, Jesus, for saving my life, but to take that treasure and go, now others. you know, Go and share that gospel, share that, that others might come out of the water, out of death, into life. And then we celebrate that when someone does that through baptism. So if you're a believer and you haven't been baptised, Get baptised because it's this glorious public proclamation that says, I was once dead and now I'm alive in Christ. I was under the water and I've been raised to life with Christ. And Jesus says, I want you to go and draw people out. But I don't want you to do it in your own strength. I don't want you to do it because you've got wonderful strategies or exquisite oratory capability or because you have the best lure or the best church building or because of the the best merch. Sorry, I was at the youth camp yesterday and there's merch everywhere. It's not a bad thing, but that's not going to save souls. What saves souls? The light. The light of the gospel is what's going to draw people out. So here's what I want to do tonight in the time we have left is I want to look at the light. I want to shine the light through a prism. Physics, anybody? What happens when we shine light through a prism? It reveals the different elements of the light. And we could there's so much in this. But what I want to do is, I just want to look at a couple of things that we're going to see in the light. And we're going to do it through two key passages. So get your Bibles out. And what we're going to do is, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 4 and we're going to go to Romans 14 as sort of our key moments here as we look at the light, the elements of the light. What does it mean for us to shine the light on the waters in our culture? in our world, in our universities, in our workplaces. I don't know if anyone here is still at school. In these things, what does it look like for us to shine the light? So, 2 Corinthians 4, and let's just read from verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, someone say truth, plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. There's an adversary that is causing people to live in darkness. And Christ is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that none of us are overly special. We're just jars of clay. But the mighty, powerful work of God, when the light shines, is that God puts his light in us. That God would actually take his gospel, that his kingdom is made manifest in us. Us, and it then radiates out of us that he is calling us to be light. Link it to Matthew 5, that you are the light of the world. How are you the light of the world? Because the spirit of God is alive in you if you are in Christ. And so as his light is in you, you are therefore called as you go out into the world to radiate his light. And one way, one element of that light is simply the proclamation of truth. Paul says that we proclaim the truth, that we set forth the truth plainly. Friends, we are living in a world, and you know it as well as anybody, where truth is being rejected, eroded, and completely almost annihilated in our society. And yet, it is the very light that will shine into the darkness to transform lives because the thing about truth is it's truth someone can say it's not true but that doesn't stop it from being true i love the analogy like the bible says that the word of god is a two-edged sword and the word is truth i love the analogy if if i was in a sword fight with john right and john and i are there and we're having a sword fight and i pull out my sword and he goes i don't believe in that do I go, oh, sorry, mate, and drop my sword and put up the dukes? Or do I go, okay, <laughs> and just plunge it in? What do I do? We're in a sword fight. He might not believe in my sword. That doesn't stop the sword from being any more real, does it? It's real. Truth is truth. The word of God is true, it is truth. And so we can live in a world that's rejecting truth, but that doesn't mean that we should stop proclaiming truth. In fact, all the more we should stand on the truth and we should learn to be like Paul at the Areopagus who learns to find ways to sort of get to proclaiming the truth, meet them where they're at and then bring it. But we have a true foundation and we should proclaim that truth and we should hold fast to that truth. We should be a people who know the word of God, Study the word of God, love the word of God, and proclaim the word of God at every possible opportunity. And in so doing, we become a light in the darkness. We are seeing all around us, as truth is eroded, people think They're getting what they want, but what they're finding, and we're going to get to this in a minute, but you look at what's happening with mental health at the moment. As truth becomes more and more disregarded and eroded, society becomes more and more fragile. And people are looking for something to stand on. People are looking for a firm foundation for the love of God church. Let's be a people who treasure the word of God. The persecuted church right now, would give anything to have this in their hand in nazi germany there were people that the the soldiers were using the bible as toilet paper and and the jews in concentrate with well, christians in concentration camps i should say would go through that mess and clean it off so they had a page of scripture that they could memorize that's how significant this is and you've probably got three or four of them sitting at home covered in dust and you've got a phone with a and you've got your app, and you've got your street going, meditate on the Word of God. And it's not about legalistic righteousness. No, it's because it's true. And as the Word of God shines on your heart, it changes you, slowly but surely, day by day. Amen? Amen? Let's love the Word of God and friends that is my heart for hills baptist that we would be a church that loves the word of god that talks about it that reads it that proclaims it that preaches it unashamed regardless of what society says we preach the word number 2 this is where we now jump over and we'll go to romans and then we'll sing a song and then we'll eat some food romans 14 Paul's giving this awesome uh, talk about food and drink and legalistic righteousness and all these sorts of things. And right in the middle of it, he drops one of the most magnificent nuggets of gold, that is, uh, for us to chew on. And in Romans 14, sometimes stuff comes out of your mouth and it's out there before you can stop it. Isn't that right, Craig? And thank you, David. Okay, for the kingdom of God... So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Did anyone grow up in a uniting church here? Did anyone used to sing that song? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. No? Okay. I'll stop singing. You know, for the last month, that song has been in my head. I'm like, why is that song in my head? I cannot shake it. And then I was like... That's it. I'm going to read it. And I was like, oh, maybe there's a sermon in it. That's why it's in my head. Anyway, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of... And then he's like, da-na-na. Anyway. <laughs> Romans 14. For the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the light, what we're talking about is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There's your next three elements. We look to truth. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. As the Holy Spirit comes and captivates you and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of that light, the light within you that will shine out of you, the first thing is righteousness. And friends, righteousness is not morality that he's talking about. It's identity. It's not about doing good stuff. It's not about doing everything I can to be pleasing to God. No, no, no. It's about who he has made you. That's what he's talking about, righteousness. Second Corinthians 5, 21, he, he made him who knew no sin become sin, that we might become in him the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Friends, what he's talking about is you, if you're in Christ, if you've, give, if you've surrendered your life to him, if you are a disciple of Jesus You are righteous in his sight. That means right standing. That means being, you have been made pure in his sight. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes because you are still in the flesh, but it means the seed inside of you, the very nature of who you are, God has changed. You have come out of the waters into life. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to stay calm. I'm trying to stay calm. That's the gospel. And we're like, oh, Jesus died on a cross and saved my sins. No, Jesus died on a cross and saved you from death. And he filled you with his life. You get to stand before the father one day and he's going to look at you despite your wretchedness and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because what he sees when he sees you is his son. Because the spirit of God is in you because you have been made righteous by the finished work of Jesus. That is the gospel. And when we know it, When you have that revelation, when you understand who you are in him, it changes everything. Everything. Instead of feeling guilty and shameful, instead of walking down the same old filth that you used to walk in, no, there's something within you is different. And when you stumble, you get up and you're like, praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and setting me free from sin and death. Thank you that you've rescued me from that way of life. Thank you that I'm no longer enslaved to that. But I am in you. Righteousness. And when the church starts to recognize who it is and live out that identity, understand that righteousness is not a posture. It is a position. It is a position of right standing before a holy God. Guess what comes out of that? Peace and joy. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. You get peace because you understand that the work is done. Jesus said, It is finished. He didn't say, Go and finish it. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. I've done the work. You have been made righteous. All you need to do is come to me. Die to self, get under the water and be raised to life with Christ. Peace. How often is our world wrestling with an absence of peace? Peace is contentment despite your circumstance. Contentment despite your circumstance. Your world can be in turmoil, but, and yet there is an inner contentment. I know we've got to finish because you guys got to eat food. Can I just tell you one more story? Uh, many, many years ago, a, a dear friend of mine who lives next door here uh, rung me, he said he'd been praying for our family and we'd been going through a bit of a torrid time as a family. We'd just been told that our oldest son, I didn't share this in the morning service, we'd been told our oldest son would put, probably has leukaemia. Turns out he didn't, praise God. But when you hear that as a parent, that's a really frightening thing. And when you don't know for three weeks... It's a really frightening thing. And so we were there just in, like, our world was in turmoil. The storm was raging. And he rung me up and he said, Dave, I've just been praying for you. He goes, what's going on? And I just told him through tears. And he goes, do you know what? That's so crazy. He goes, I just had this image from God of the story of Jesus asleep in the boat. He goes, what takes more faith? To sleep through a storm or to stand up and calm it. He goes, I think what God's telling you is to sleep well in the storm, knowing that Jesus is in your boat. Peace. We live in a world where all we want to do, as soon as any sort of turmoil, any sort of struggle, any sort of strife comes our way, we're like, Jesus, calm the storm in my life. I don't want this storm. No one wants to face a storm. No one wants trial. No one wants any of that stuff. And so we constantly are like karmic. And as soon as something difficult happens, like, oh, God's forsaken me. And we start to doubt our faith. We start to question whether or not Jesus is real, whether he is who he says he is. And we throw it all out the window. And Jesus is like, far out, man. I'm just sleeping in your boat. Trust my finished work on the cross. Come back to righteousness and find peace in that place. And the disciples, Jesus had promised them, he'd said, we're going to the other side. And yet the storm rises and they start freaking out and questioning and they wake him up. And he's just like, oh, I told you we're going to the other side. Do you trust me? And then he's like, righto, bang. And then he calms it. And as he calms it, what's he calming? The water. Only God can calm the water. What do the disciples do? They were terrified of the storm. They were afraid of the storm. And they're they're more scared of him because of what he just did. Because he's revealing his deity, his authority over death, which he then demonstrates on a cross. Oh, there's so much in it. Friends, peace is an element of that light. When we know who we are, the peace of God abounds. And more than that, the joy. The joy of God abounds. And joy is not external happiness. Joy is an inner delight in God's goodness. You can be joyful and sad. Did you know that? You can be joyful and sad. Because happiness is an external thing. Joy is an internal thing. Joy is understanding. It's a delight in God's goodness. It's knowing that no matter what comes my way, God is good. And therefore, I have reason to celebrate. Therefore, I have reason to praise. Read the Psalms. David, over and over and over again. What does he do? Yell, rant, rave. Ah, life is sucky right now. But yet will I praise you. (laughs) Everything's going bad. Yet will I praise you. Why? Because he had joy when he was sad. And joy when shone into the darkness reveals the goodness and glory of God. Let me finish. Band, are you coming up to play a song? Do you want to come up and just do that? Because we'll sing in a sec. But I want to close with this. So go to Philippians. Now, Paul, writing this, is in prison. He's in prison. Life's not good. And he says, from verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And he goes, I will say it again. So in case you didn't hear me the first time because you were a bit surprised about my position and I told you to rejoice, let me say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the what? The peace of God. So when we rejoice... We find peace. See, so often we only rejoice when we have peace. But what if it's supposed to be the other way around? What if that rejoicing and the praising precedes peace? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, I would love to pray for some people here tonight. In fact, all of you in the world that we are living in, that you would know peace, that you would not be blown from this way to that, that you would not be deceived, but you would know the peace of God as you encounter the truth of God and rejoice in Him. Would you stand to your feet for me? And if there's just anyone here right now where you're like, your world is maybe a little bit churny and your mind is not at rest and you would like prayer, remember, prayer's a good thing. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's a wonderful thing. If that's you, can you just pop your hand up for us? We'd love to pray. Awesome. Praise God. Anyone else really want prayer? Yeah. Fantastic. All right, let's just lay hands on each other for a moment. Turn around. If you put your hand up and you're that person who wants prayer, just put it up again so people can see you, so you can have someone lay hands on you. And I'm going to give you three minutes to pray for each other and pray over that person that they would know peace in turbulent times. And then I'll close in prayer and then we'll sing and then we'll eat gnocchi. Sound good? All right, let's go. Let's pray. Yeah, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful group of people. And Lord, we pray a blessing upon this congregation. Lord, I pray a blessing upon each person in this room. And Lord, we pray that we would be light bearers, that we would be fishers of people, that we would be followers who fish, Lord. And Lord, that the fishing would not be about our skill or our programs, but it would be about your light that you would put your light in us, Lord, that we would radiate peace, that would radiate joy, that we would know who we are and radiate the righteousness that you have put in us. And Lord, that we would radiate truth in a world that is deceived. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we just surrender our lives afresh tonight. Thank you for the gift of the gospel. In Jesus' name and all God's children said,